twelve chapter three of round the block by john belbooten this librivox recording is in the public domain slapman versus slapman the case of slapman versus slapman occupied the attention of the referee samuel goldfinch esq over two months that gentleman was corpulent fond of good dinners and had a highly cultivated taste for scandal it had been his custom to give this interesting case a hearing one or two hours every afternoon daily after court it was a relief from the heavy business of the day for goldfinch had heavy business which came to him because he was a fat and pleasant fellow with a large head and a great circle of miscellaneous acquaintance the real work of the office was done by a modest unappreciated man named mixer on the occasion of these anti-matrimonial audiences mixer sat in the back room grubbing among his dusty papers while samuel goldfinch esq in the front room with doors shut leaned back in his easy-chair and surrendered himself to enjoyment in the case of slapman versus slapman a great number of witnesses had been examined on each side affidavits amounting to hundreds of pages had been obtained in distant states some as far away as california the lawyers had spared neither their own time nor the money of their clients in raking together testimony which would bear in the slightest degree upon the interests which they represented all the relatives of mr slapman had testified that he was a gentleman uniformly kind and courteous possessing a singular placidity of temper and indulgent to his wife to a degree where indulgence became a fault those relatives and they were numerous particularly in the country branch who had passed anniversary weekends at mr slapman's house were very severe on mrs slapman she was a proud disagreeable woman she was continually snubbing her husband before people she had a great many male friends whose acquaintance she had retained in defiance of his wishes she was known to have received letters from men and when her husband had desired to peruse them had laughed at him it is true that she pretended to be a patroness of literature science and the arts but anybody could see that those were only the cover of the grossest improprieties she had been heard to listen without remonstrance to declarations of love from several young men it turned out upon cross-examination that these irregularities took place in charades and plays of which mr slapman's relatives had been shocked spectators with regard to mr overtop's transactions in the family they could say nothing for they had long since ceased to visit mrs slapman on account of her disgraceful conduct and also they might have added but they did not add because mrs slapman latterly had her house full of jigbies and put her husband's relatives into obscure rooms in the third story and quite forgot their existence afterward per contra all the jigbies and they were a prolific race swore that their distinguished relative was a pattern of artlessness and innocence that she was remarkable from early childhood for a charming frankness and transparent candor 
that when this bright ornament of the Jigby stock was sought in marriage by the defendant, the whole family, with one mind and voice, opposed the match. They had felt that a being of her exalted intellectual tastes was too good for a sordid money-getting creature like Slapman. But that man, by his ingenious artifices, had succeeded in winning the hand of their gifted kinswoman, and married her against their unanimous protests. There was but one consolation for this family misfortune. Mr. Slapman was reported to be wealthy, and could afford to indulge his wife in the exercise of her noble longings for truth. They were willing to say that Mr. Slapman had not been illiberal, so far as vulgar money was concerned. He had given to his wife the house and lot which she occupied, and had never stinted her in respect of allowances. But what was money to a woman of Mrs. Slapman's soul, when her husband withheld from her his confidence and trust, regarded her innocent labors in behalf of art, literature, and the drama, with a cold, unsympathizing eye, and finally descended so low as to feel a brutal jealousy of those gentlemen of talent, of whom she was the revered patroness. Money, we are quoting here from the remarks of Mrs. Slapman's eminent counsel, is very desirable in its way, but is it not the vilest dross, your honor, when compared with the pure gold of connubial trust and sympathy? Mr. Goldfinch nodded his head, as if to say that he rather thought it was. The testimony of two servant girls established the fact that Mr. Slapman had several times been overheard to tell his wife that she would regret it, and that the time was fast coming when forbearance would cease to be a virtue, also that the worm, when trodden on repeatedly, might at last turn and sting, and many other enigmatical sayings of that character. The very vagueness of these threats, implying unknown horrors, had inspired his wife with a mortal dread of him. She did not know at what moment this jealous and revengeful man might strike her dead. She had been living in the fear of her life for six years, and during all this time had never complained or expressed that fear to one of her relatives or friends. Such is the noble, uncomplaining nature, said the eminent counsel, in reference to this fact, of the woman that fate has thrown into the arms of a fiend. But the most striking proof of Mr. Slapman's murderous designs upon his wife was his conduct at the last dramatic soiree. Twenty witnesses swore that it was his evident intention to spring on her and strangle her, and that he was only thwarted in this horrid purpose by the noble courage of Fayette Overtop, Esquire. Mr. Overtop briefly and modestly testified to this effect also, and furthermore narrated all the particulars of his acquaintance with Mrs. Slapman, holding before her a shield from which the arrows of calumny, aimed by her husband, fell harmless. Mr. Slapman had not shown himself in the referee's office since the investigation began. 
he had become convinced that he had lost the case into which his mad jealousy and his lawyer's advice had plunged him. Mrs. Slapman, according to the testimony of the two servants and several others, was immured in her house and brooding over this saddest episode in her unhappy history. "'Nothing but that instinct of self-preservation,' said the eminent counsel, which bids the dove to fly from the hawk, and the rabbit to evade the pursuing hounds, could have induced that delicate, shrinking lady to lay bare the horrors of her prison-house to the world, and to ask, in the name of common humanity, a release from the tyrant, and a liberal alimony. The eminent counsel repeated this flight of fancy in the ear of Mrs. Slapman, at the opera that evening, whither she was accompanied by a few of the Jigbees, and she smiled and said that it was really beautiful. The protracted case, of which we have given a mere sketch, was decided by Samuel Goldfinch, Esquire, in favor of the lady. A separation was decreed, and alimony fixed at six thousand dollars a year that being only a wife's fair proportion of Mr. Slapman's income. Mrs. Slapman, with a well-assumed appearance of levity, gave a grand soiree musicale dramatique at her house in honor of the event at which Overtop was a favored guest. Mr. Slapman went direct to Slapmanville and raised the rent on all his tenants, turned a superannuated non-paying couple into the street and took a general account of his property, to see how much he could sell out for, preparatory to leaving for Europe, and so dodging the payment of the alimony. The illustrated papers published two portraits, one of an angel, the other of a demon. The angel was Mrs. Slapman, the demon was her husband. The comic papers served him up in puns, conundrums, and acrostics, of the most satirical import. The daily papers, always on the lookout for subjects to write about, improved the occasion to overhaul the question of divorce in its statistical, moral, social, and religious bearings. Two editors, in pursuance of a previous agreement, continued to discuss the question with great warmth in their respective journals until they had written about two hundred octavo pages, when the debate was published in book form with paper covers, and sold for their joint benefit. End of Book 12, Chapter 3